Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Merry Christmas. I haven't, some of you I haven't seen since Christmas because uh, I saw you the day before. But uh, we had a great night and a uh, ton, ton of people, candy canes, uh, candle lit, uh, place was packed and, and we sang and whatnot. And uh, if you missed it, I hope you had a great time wherever you were with your family and whatnot. Uh, but we we continue to live in the joy of what happened that day some 2,000 years ago and the realities that it brings to our life. Amen? Uh, and then just wanted to uh, let you know, men, we are, we are not here this Wednesday morning for Men's Fraternity. We are still on break. We'll see uh, January 10th, continuing our, our series on winning at work and winning at home. We did uh, winning at home the beginning of the year and now starting January 10th, 6 a.m., uh, we'll start doing uh, winning uh, at work. And so look forward to joining you guys in that men's fraternity curriculum with uh, our uh, our rock brotherhood guys. So hope to see you there. Hey, uh, just wanted to thank you guys. Uh, something that you're unaware of, probably totally. We Yesterday we had a funeral, memorial service, uh, celebration of life for a family in the church and whatnot. And the uh, place was packed. And I, I just had a moment yesterday just watching our church be able to provide something for a family in our church, and uh, and you guys are what help make that possible. So whatever you were doing yesterday, I hope you enjoyed it. At the same time, you were providing a, an amazing experience for uh, for one of the families in the church. Uh, and then most of the people don't attend Rock Bible Church that were here, and they got to experience an opportunity to celebrate and worship and and uh, honor someone who passed. So, uh, thank you. Good job. Didn't even know you did it, did you? Uh, but that's what being a church is about. And it's something that we provide for the community. And I didn't want you to miss it. Because uh, it was great. So, thank you. Uh, we are, uh, we're in between Christmas and the new year. We just finished our series on the road to Bethlehem. Five parts. We finished it Christmas Eve night. We looked at the wise men and that experience. Uh, and you know, we over those seven uh, sermons in six weeks, uh, we covered a lot of different things. We were way back in the Old Testament. We looked at the history of Bethlehem and the Hebrew word Emmanuel and a bunch of different things. We saw Zechariah and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary, um, uh, wise men, shepherds, angels, the whole thing. Uh, and in doing that, we went through for sure first and second chapters of Luke and then we went through the first chapter and part of the second chapter of Matthew. And for those of you who know me, I can't start a chapter without finishing a chapter. So today, uh, we're going to look at the last part of Matthew chapter 2, kind of not really finish the Christmas story, but see what happened right after Christmas. Uh, because I think it has very poignant things to say for us today. Once Christmas has come, then what? Have all the rules changed? Is the game different? Uh, what's the same? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Before we do that, we'd love to invite the ushers to come forward. Uh, Bibles and outlines and pens and such. If you want anything from them, go ahead and get those. Prayer request cards as well. Uh, and then we are going to be in Matthew chapter 2, uh, verses 13 and following. If you want to turn there. Everything will be up on the screen. Um, but... Before we get started, let's pray 
and then uh, then we'll jump right in. Oh Lord, thank you for this year. May we be reminded of your provision. Thank you for all you do and for what you teach us, how you guide us and shape us and mold us. And pray, Lord, that you would show us uh, how to think, how to feel uh, in ways that are more in line with how you think and feel. And so we thank you for the, the holiday season that we've just come through. And I pray, Lord, you'd uh, give us direction as we move beyond it. And we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 2. The wise men uh, are the beginning of chapter 2. And they've, they've just left. Uh, in fact, the first phrase is going to be, ha- and them having departed, uh, them being the wise men. Uh, they're going to be gone. And the reason that they came in the first place, Herod wanted them to find Jesus, this uh, child born king of the Jews, this prophecy. Uh, he wanted because he wanted to worship too. At least that's what he said. Um, but he told a fib. Uh, and we're going to see that. He actually wanted to um, destroy him, the phrase is. Uh, but we're going to see all of that, and we're going to see what happens. Once the wise men are gone, the, the birth of Jesus is over, and now what are Joseph and Mary going to do? And I think there's some some interesting things that come out of this that I, that I hope to point out to you this morning and, and really give you maybe a little bit of an aha moment. Uh, so let's jump right in. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 and following. Here we go. And now when they had departed, that's the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. You think Joseph is um, getting a little leery of angels showing up at this point? Uh, He has the most visits uh, in this story for sure. Uh, And every time they show up, they give him new information and it's usually rough information. Hey, by the way, your fiance is pregnant. Uh, By the way, you're not leaving her. Yes, you are going to raise the child. In fact, when he's born, you're going to name him Jesus. And we're going to move forward together. And that was nine to ten months. And now here it's happened. But now here comes the angel. It's like, oh, new marching orders. How rough is this going to be? It's actually going to be really rough. said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. See, now he's getting uh, really difficult information. He's saying, now, um, yes, you have this child. Yes, you have this wife. And now we're leaving. Um, You don't even get to stay in your own country. You're going to have to travel to a whole different place. Uh, You got to imagine that this is pretty, pretty tough for uh, for Joseph, for Mary. And begs the question, at least in my mind, because this is the way I think. Maybe you're healthier than me, but... uh, what happened to Messiah being on the scene? What happened to Son of God born this day in the city of David, right? What, what happened to, he's going to make everything right. How is it that Herod still exists? How is it that Son of Man, Jesus, this Messiah, has to flee from a secular king because he's at risk of being destroyed? I thought evil was over. I, I thought darkness was done. No, there's still a dark side, right? Which is why they continue to make Star Wars movies, right? <laughs> uh, it, it should feel a little bit wrong. 
Like, wait, no, Jesus is on the scene now. Yes, but he's only a child. Yeah, but why would you have him be at risk from a secular king and then being cared for by two average people, just some young couple? I mean, God, can you do more? Or what's really going on here? Because this doesn't make sense. That's how it feels to me in some ways when I read it that way. Uh, But verse 14, we'll find out what Joseph did. And he rose. He took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Did you know that um, the Messiah was supposed to be an Egyptian? Some people would think that because of the prophecy. We know Messiah is coming, but he's, he's coming out of Egypt, right? Now, this is interesting because it's kind of a little bit of a double meaning here because it could be reference to the fact that, that God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, you know, the first time, Exodus, the book, right? So it could be a kind of a reference to that in some ways. Uh, but now we know where, where Messiah is coming from, right? What's the problem with that? Where was he born? So how can he be from Egypt if he's born in Bethlehem? We'd have to be in Egypt at some point, right? So God's fulfilling his, his plan and his prophecy by now taking Joseph and the family down to Egypt, uh, also sparing him from Herod. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Wow, that's rough. King says, I can't find him. That's fine. We'll kill them all. I mean, should that really still exist after Messiah's on the scene? You see the disconnect that I'm having? Uh, But it is the reality of life. Now, you know, they they don't really uh, find a record of this much uh, outside the biblical record for a bunch of children being slaughtered in Israel around Herod's time. Why would that be? I mean, we have a record of Herod. We have a record of Jesus. We have a record of uh, this Christmas event in secular uh, sources. But historians who, who talk about geography and population back in that time say, you know, Bethlehem was such a small place at the time. There really weren't that many people. Of all the people there, how many had kids under two years old? Probably not very many. And of those kids, half of them were girls, roughly. So how many boys are we really talking about? Uh, some, some professionals would say could have been as little as 10, 10 kids. If that's true, then we understand why it might not have been that big an event to other people. Because it wasn't a mass slaughter, although death of even one child is not right. But it makes sense that it might not show up in the record of other things. Plus, we've got Herod, who, if he's willing to kill a few kids, he was willing to do a lot of other things that were even worse. And those are the things that they wrote about and made into the record. Uh, So it cracks me up sometimes when people say, well, there's no record of this. Well, there's good reason for there to be no record of this. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. uh, And it doesn't give you an an excuse to ignore it. And the disconnect of what what happened to the kids? Why is this going on? We should have Messiah on the scene now. 
even if he is too small and too young. But this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Oh no. Here comes the angel again. I do want to point out to you too, before we pass on, uh, you know we've quoted another prophecy again, another scripture. And notice that in the Christmas story, we, we are quoting scripture and quoting prophecy over and over and over again. It's meant to show that there is a plan and that God is making that plan happen. Uh, but the angel appears in the dream to Joseph and says, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream again, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Apparently, uh, Herod's son was worse than he was. Uh, And so he ends up leaving and doesn't go back to Jerusalem area, Bethlehem area. He goes up farther north, Sea of Galilee area. Uh, And it says that, verse 23, and when uh, when he went, he lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a... Nazarene. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. Only 11 verses today. Wait, is he a Nazarene or is he an Egyptian? Or a Bethlehemite? Where is he from? Where where are you from? He's from heaven. That's good. Yeah. Sunday school answer alert. Uh, Where are you from? How would you define yourself? You from the Bay Area? You from Pleasanton? You from Livermore? You from the Tri Valley? Are you American? Are you Californian? Are you originally from Russia? Where, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to describe yourself, right? But people say, well, you know, the Bible says he's from Egypt, so he was born in Bethlehem. Then he can't be. Well, no, there's ways for this to all work out. Uh, are there times where the Bible appears to be conflicting or inconsistent? Absolutely. When that happens. Is it because it contradicts itself or is it because you're yet to understand how it actually works? You're yet to understand how it actually works because God does make his plan work. And that's what we're meant to see, I think. Except for Messiah's on the scene and we've still got Herod and Archelaus and angels running around and, and crazy still going on, which begs the question, What really happened on Christmas? Did the rules change? Has the game changed? Are we living in a different world? Or is everything the same? We're just saved. Not sure, right? It begs the question, how do we live after Christmas? Road to Bethlehem is awesome. Christmas is great. Jesus, wonderful. Uh, God with us, presents, candy canes, the whole thing. We love it. But once Christmas has come, then what? 
I think we pull out some great realities from this passage. I know it's only 11 verses, but there's so much here. I think it was enough for one day. And I want us to look and see this verse I gave you. This is the very last one of the passage we're looking at today. Uh, last verse in, in Matthew 2 also. Verse 23, it says, he went and he lived. Because Joseph and Mary got to keep on living. You know, after Christmas, there's still decisions to make. There's still things to do. Places to go. Things to deal with. Maybe even people that are coming after you. So he had to keep on going and, and he had to keep on living. Uh, he chose Nazareth. But the passage draws us to some realities after Christmas that we need to live through. And the first one is this. Even though Jesus has come, even though Messiah has, uh, has been born, even though prophecy has been fulfilled, good and evil still exist. The reality after Christmas is good and evil still exist. Does evil still exist, folks, today? Yeah, just turn on the TV, right? Not that the TV is evil. Maybe, right? But you go on social media, I mean, it wouldn't take you any time to find evil out there. Uh, sometimes you don't even have to look beyond your family. Hopefully you have to look beyond yourself to find evil. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not even true a lot of times. I'm curious, and I have a lot of questions, as to why after Messiah shows up on the scene, why is evil allowed to con exist, continue? It's the reality of how life works still. For some reason, God has ordained for it to be that way. There's still Herods out there. There's still Archelaus's out there. Sometimes you gotta flee. Sometimes you gotta stay. Sometimes you gotta wait. All the time you have to decide. You so the one of the realities if there's good and evil and it still exists, then what decisions are you gonna make, right? I love that in uh, verse uh, 13, it shows us the idea that this angel comes and says, hey, it's time to go to Egypt. Why? Because Herod exists. Then verse 16, uh, when Herod saw that he'd been tricked, what does he want to do? Let's kill all the kids. Bothers me that that goes on after Christmas. I mean, maybe it was only 10 kids. Isn't that better than 200 or 1,000? I mean, that's way better, right? Only 10 rather than 1,000. But still horrible. Horrid. How does that still exist? How does that get to go on? And then verse 22, where it says uh, Archelaus was even worse than his father. It, it doesn't just exist because it kind of existed, because Herod was there right when the child was born. But once Herod was gone, who gets, who gets put into power? Evil gets put into power. You know, it still happens to this day. And this is reality of what we're going to live in uh, moving forward. Uh, regardless of your position on who Christ is or who God is, good and evil exist. And it's a reality. And it doesn't all just get better uh, just because of Christmas or just because Jesus has arrived on the scene. I used to think, you know, Christmas was the best time of the year. I still am, got some strong arguments for that being true. I mean, what's better than Christmas? Right? Anybody? Don't give an answer. You'll be wrong right? 
And Christmas was this great time of year where you get presents and you get time off school, which at the time, I mean, what beats time off school, <laughs> right? There's an abundance of candy. People dress up. You get gifts from pretty much everybody you know. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I remember uh, one year coming down the hallway on Christmas morning and looking over the stairwell that goes downstairs and down at the bottom. Oh, this is blue 10-speed, shiny paint job, blue seat, blue handlebar. You know the 10-speeds, the, the handlebars wrap around, and they have the little plastic wrap that goes all the way around, and it's, it's like uh, uh, see-through blue plastic, shiny, matches everything, and I'm just, and the light through the sliding glass door is shining onto the bike from upstairs. I'm like, man, mom and dad, you set this up so awesome. Right, because it was for mom and dad, not Santa. Let's just be clear on that. Um, and I love that bike. I thought for the rest of my life, I'm going to have this bike. Life is, is going to be much better now. I can ride this to all kinds of places. You know, I rode that bike to and from elementary school from that day forward. I got into middle school. I rode that bike to and from middle school for year, uh, the whole time I was there. I had that bike into high school, and I'm using it and riding it and the whole thing. And, you know the reality of a 10-speed when a 14-year-old owns it? What happens to that 10-speed? It, it becomes a 9-speed <laughs> or a 5-speed. Those little blue wrap things, they come off on one side but not the other. He tries to fix it. How well does that go? Does he get it right every time? No, over time, things stop working, right? One of the brakes works. One of the brakes doesn't. Don't hit those brakes too fast. You're going over right? Back ones don't work anymore. Use them too much. Front ones still work, but it's like gambling, right? Which is why I don't gamble anymore, okay? I lost too many times. Um, I thought this bike, I mean, it's just, hey, from Christmas on, it's just, everything's going to be great. Uh, Where's that bike today? Here's one of the sad realities of Christmas, right? No one knows where the bike is. That, that bike probably isn't even in one piece anymore. It's probably been recycled and it's landfilled or it's, it's broken into 45 pieces in 45 different places. Nobody knows where the bike is. Because there's, there's not only good that goes beyond Christmas. There are the rough realities of life. There's math equations that don't always work out in your favor moving beyond Christmas. And we need to learn how to deal with them. And we learn how to make decisions. The joy of Christmas is that we have the assurance of a God who's in control of all things, looking down on us, coming towards us, coming at us, bringing things to us and saying there's a chance, there's a way it can work and you can experience the good rather than the evil. Did Herod have a choice? He had a lot of choices. Archelaus have a choice. He had a lot of choices. Did Joseph have a choice? And Joseph chose differently. One of the lost characters in the Christmas story is Joseph. He is amazing. Uh, he's going to disappear after Christmas, by the way. In fact, you don't get much more than another chapter into Matthew, and he's gone. But during the Christmas story, Joseph makes great decisions. And he chooses the good over evil, even after Christmas. Uh, it's one of the things that we've got to learn how to deal with, right? Because your bike's never going to last. 
All right, second thing, second reality, and then we'll get into two choices you get to make, right? Three different places it says, what was spoken by the prophets will be fulfilled. Is that a filler phrase? Are you sure? Kevin is the only one that answered that. Why would God tell us three different times that what was spoken by the prophets will be fulfilled? So that you know where the reference came from? So that you know God got it right? Or someone knew ahead of time? I think it's a lot more than that. You see in verse 17 and 18, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. That's a prophecy. Are you glad it was fulfilled? What a horrid prophecy. Terrible. God knew about that? God brought Jesus on the scene, Christmas, and yet the prophecy still was fulfilled? Weeping? Lamentation? Guys, you don't even use that word anymore. Lamentation. How bad is that? Why would God continue? Why would God allow that stuff to still exist and go on? Because he has a plan. Good, bad, evil, your timeline, your patience level, whatever it is, who's involved, who chooses in, who chooses out, he will make his plan work. And some will get to benefit from it and some won't. That what was spoken by the prophets will be fulfilled is much more than a one-time event, a one-time instance. Oh, hey, this is significant Christmas. Why? Because, well, the Jared Herod killed the kids. And yeah, that's just one thing. But when it starts to happen over and over again, right? Verse 15, that what was, uh, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I will call my son. And verse 23, that he shall be called a Nazarene, was spoken by the prophets and was fulfilled. What was meant for us to know about that? That he was going to be called an Egyptian, a Nazarene, and a Bethlehemite. And, oh, God made it work out all the good. No, that was God's plan from the beginning. Love what it actually says in the very first time, verse 15, where it says that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. So it's not just that the prophets got it right. It's not just that it was written in scripture at one point. It's not just that maybe someone spoke into your life and it was correct. But it's the idea that God is trying to speak. And what is he speaking to? His plan that he will make happen. And when you follow it, you get to be part of it rather than have it go on without you. See, God does have a plan, and he will make it happen. Whether you vote in or whether you vote out. And I love that because I need a God who's in total control. I need a God who uh, fulfills more than just a few prophecies. I need a God who fulfills all the prophecies all the time without fail. And beyond the prophecies, has little experiences that he uses as fulfillments of his truth. You see, 
At some point, we've got to ask the question, when God tells us a truth and we follow that truth, isn't that in some way a little prophecy? It's God saying, this is how the plan works. Try it. Do it. That's when we get to really experience that God fulfills what he plans to fulfill and can fulfill you. And that's a great, that's an encouraging reassurement. What are you going to do with all your fears? What are you going to do with your shortcomings? Or the shortcomings of those around you? Your wallet, your calendar will never match up to all the opportunities and options that you have. So at some point you have to trust that God's in control and then you got to pick decisions that are going to go along with that. See, if these are the two realities after Christmas that evil still exists, uh, but God is still going to work his plan and make it come to fulfillment, then here's your two choices. Number one, what's your threshold for following his instructions? How long will it take? Isn't that the question? Dad, when do we get to open the gifts? Mom, can we open some tonight? Can we open just one tonight? Right? Did, did you ever do that? Or did that just only go on at my house? This was like a war every year. Uh, my parents won the war, by the way. Do you know how they won? No, you can't answer. O open all the presents. Yes, you can open one present. On Christmas Eve, we could open one present. Do you know how they broke us of that so that we weren't excited about necessarily doing that? They get to pick what the present is on Christmas Eve that you open. And which one did they pick every year till we stopped asking for it? Pajamas. 12-year-old boy, I'm getting it. Pajamas? Ah, oh, it's like uh, a Wapo and three amigos. Yeah. Hey, you got me a gift? A sweater? Oh, my man, a sweater. <laughs> it's like, right? Uh, we have to decide what our threshold is. What are we willing to wait for? How long will it take? What will you put up with? At what point do you bow out? When do you quit the team? How many games do you sit before you decide not to come back to practice? How many difficult tasks does your boss give you before you say, I'm not working here anymore? What's your threshold with God? It's a, it's a tremendous question. If we believe that good and evil still exist and that God will fulfill his plan eventually, no matter what, then the decision you get to make is how strong is your threshold? What will you pull up, put up with? And I absolutely love Joseph for this reason. Verse 14, and he rose. Verse 21, and he rose. Two identical phrases. Are they meant to signify that uh, Joseph got up out of his seat? Or was it meant to signify something even greater? Obedience. Obedience. Follow instructions. 
the angel came to him and said, arise and go to Egypt, right? Arise, go back to Israel. Both times, what does he do? And he rose. How difficult was it for him? Eh, who cares about that? How difficult is it for you? How difficult is it for you to follow his instructions? How long will you do it? How hard of an instruction could he give you? And you'd say, yes, I'm in. See, Joseph, he, he was asked of some things I think many of us would not do. And yet, in some ways, he got to be a hero. Because he decided that he would have a higher threshold. Do the extra work, put in the time, invest his money, whatever it is. Move his family twice. I could argue three times. Right? He started in Galilee, went to Bethlehem, went to Egypt, went back to Galilee. What's your threshold? What are you afraid of after Christmas? You know, Christmas is over now. At some point, you're going to go back to work, right? Praise the Lord if you're still on vacation. Amen? Right? Uh, at some point, you've got to go back to work. You're going to love it? You're going to put up with whatever goes on? You know, at some point, you still got to decide. I've gone back to work already from vacation. I worked over Christmas break. You guys work over Christmas break? I loved it. Now, mine's a little bit different scenario, okay? But with Christmas this year, kids don't get out two days until before the event, and then the night before is three services for me. I get 15 people on Christmas Eve at my house, 17 people Christmas night at my house. We're cooking for all of it, hosting. Some people are sleeping in my house. Ah, Calgon, take me away. (laughs) Right? We get to Tuesday, and I'm done. There's nothing left. Right? Scott, what do you want for Christmas? I want to veg out and sleep or just watch TV or whatever. I'm flipping channels. And what's on? Bruce Almighty. I don't know if you've seen this. It's a really goofy movie. It's not necessarily endorsed by Rock Bible Church or its affiliates, okay? Uh, Jim Carrey plays Bruce. Morgan Freeman plays God. And some things go on in uh, uh, Bruce's life, Jim Carrey's life, that he doesn't like. And so he starts blaming God, starts yelling at God, starts cursing at God, and is grumpy and upset about everything. And Morgan Freeman draws Bruce into a agreement it says oh you think you can fix anything in five minutes if you are in charge well why don't we make you god for a day now you can see how this could be a funny movie okay by the way not accurate at all in its theology except for when god is telling bruce i'm gonna let you be in charge for the day he says you can do anything you want you've got all kinds of power only you cannot mess with free will. Now, good luck, have fun, boom, and the movie goes on. For a split second, Hollywood threw in there, but you can't mess with free will. And I, I, I lost, the movie blacked out for like the next 15, 20 minutes. I was thinking, why'd they put that in there? That's fascinating. Oh my gosh. We still have choice. 
We still have to decide. We still get to decide. Even Hollywood is trying to preserve our ability to decide what our thresholds are. What will you choose, good or bad? That's a great, great um, idea for us post-Christmas. Is that we, we get to pick our, our, our thresholds, right? And then lastly, for how long? If good and evil exist, for how long? If God's going to have his plan come to fulfillment, when? Dad, how much longer? Is not just a question for the family road trip. It's a theological question for our own spiritual experience. God, how much longer? How long will I have to deal with evil? How much longer will I need to make these kind of choices? And I love that the passage actually answers that question. Verse 13, And the angel came and said, Flee to Egypt and remain there until... And then verse 15. And he remained there until. How much longer? Until we're done. How much longer? Till I say so. Yeah, that's what the angel, that's what my parents used to tell me all the time when I asked that question. But that's what the angel told Joseph. Go to Egypt until I tell you. It's a great spiritual question for Sunday school, right? Is God in control? Yes. For how long? Forever. How must I follow him? Every way you can. For how long? As long as it takes. Those are great big overarching umbrella answers, right? They're, we call them Sunday school answers, right? We make fun of them. But how long is that actually? I love that in verse 15, we actually get a marker you can go by. You see, in my relationship with the Lord, the way I think about it, and, and maybe you think about it similar to this, I need more than just the ideological answers. Do I want to know that God loves me? Absolutely. Do I like that he likes me? Absolutely. But I want to know how it plays out. Did he die for me and pay for my sins? Amen. Well, functionally, what does that do for me on Mondays? How do I make choices? Does it really change who I am or not? And if I have to make decisions based on good and evil and his plan coming to fulfillment, I need to know what decisions to make and I need some markers. Well, I don't do this if it causes that. I need some actual, no more variables. I need specific amounts to drop into the equation so that I can eventually get to a real answer. And I love that the angel says, go and stay in Egypt until I tell you. Verse 15, and he stayed there until Herod was dead. In there, Joseph gets a marker. Herod's dead. There's my marker. Until has happened, now I can go home. What are your untils? What are the markers you use to know when God is speaking or has answered or has given you permission to move forward or has told you you don't get to move forward? You have to stay where you are until you get this answer. What's that answer you need? Your wife approves? 
The boss gives you a raise. You get fired. The company closes. It doesn't fit with the calendar. What are the markers you use? What are your untils that you use to determine what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, and what is part of his fulfillment and what is outside? You see, there's other markers. Well, if I go kill all the kids, there won't be a Messiah anymore. How well did that work? Didn't. You come up with your own markers for your own plan, it won't work. You'd be in trouble. See, folks, we have to live after Christmas. And we live in the reality and the joy and the hope and the great affirmation that we have a God who is in total control, absolutely cares for us, is ever-present, and, and immensely capable. The question then becomes, well, how do I engage that Christmas God then? And do I have not just thresholds, but markers I'm shooting for and looking for? You know, Jan said it was a good idea. There's a marker. Is it a good marker? Well, we'll find out, right? But you have to have some things that you go with. Hey, pastor said, don't use that one, okay? (laughs) Bible says, my family agreed. My boss asked me if I would. We've got to start finding the ways, though, to use real life experiences as markers for what is God trying to fulfill? Does it benefit those around me? Does it push the team forward? Is it dragging somebody down? Is it hurting anyone? Is it an encouragement? Does it meet a need? Is it selfish? There's great markers out there to push us in the right direction. It doesn't have to be an angel in a dream, by the way. God can work through almost anything and does. And that's why if we get something like Jan said, you might have to go with it because it could be God trying to work on you. Amen? One of the joys of Christmas is that we get to live beyond it. We get to see what happens in the second inning, the second half, the third quarter, the next game. It's more of a season, really. And Christmas was meant to be the beginning of that season. Amen? Amen. You pray with me? Lord, Lord, thanks. Thanks that you do give us free will. Thank you that in spite of our actions, you bring about your own fulfillment. I thank you, Lord, that you do try to get our attention. You, you do try to give us markers and coax us in the right, right direction. I pray, Lord, that we would see that. And then, Lord, that we would be thankful and affirming of all the things you do provide for us. Lord, help us to be grateful that we're here today. It's a sign that you gave us another year. 
that we made it through 2017. And I pray, Lord, that what you have done for us in the past, not just this year, but even farther back, and how you provide for us will be a sign and will be affirmation. It will give us hope and joy and peace about what you're going to do in the future. And then, Lord, help us to be more like Joseph and less like Herod. If you're here this morning, these are the realities that you live in. You can start a relationship with the Lord today. It's by saying, Lord, I I choose you from this day forward. I want to live beyond Christmas with you. If that's you, I would would love to know. You raise your hand. You can look at me. You can come up and talk to me afterwards. But help me help you. Lord, I pray for anybody that's in that position and needs to make that decision. Lord, give them the, the courage to do it. And then, Father, we thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. Help us to see it as a blessing of your provision. And then, Lord, help us to be a church that lives beyond Christmas, points people, directs them to you. And, Father, for those who are guests or or visiting, we pray that they recognize what we do as something we do as members, but they feel no obligation to participate themselves. We thank you for all this, Lord, asking your blessing and favor. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.